millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey guys, Spanners here. Just a quick note that we found out during the recording that they might be overturning Fernando Alonso's penalty. And as we finished up, they have indeed reinstated the podium. So there may or may not be a rant from a certain panelist or host that is now completely irrelevant by standby in the moment uh, but don't worry we do realize through the course of the recording that that podium got reinstated anyway enjoy the show with all the mistakes and all you are listening to missed apex podcast we live f1 Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Old Man Forgets to Park His Car Properly. And that is from Mark Greenhow on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. It is our review of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix from the Jeddah Racetrack. It produced some interesting fights and an overall entertaining weekend on a track that still makes me hide behind my hands at times. But through luck or skill or judgment, the race passed without major incident and revealed another interesting square on the Formula One scratch card. The Red Bulls finally showed us some true pace and it became clear that there is not yet a clear number two mentality in the number 11 car. So coming up, we'll discuss was that win earned or gifted? Was this the hardest Ferrari have Ferraried this season so far? Have Mercedes taken a step forward and how long can Alonso keep up this whirlwind start we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute we might be wrong but we're first 
Uh, we're joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Oh, wait, is that a JCB in my parking spot? <laughs> we're also joined by TikTok sensation Antonia Rankin. Hi, yeah, I'm already regretting my optimism that McLaren might actually be fighting for podiums this season. You poor sweet summer child. Was that really a prediction of yours? Not a prediction so much as an aching hope. <laughs> That's why I don't make any predictions whatsoever. No going back to the winter shows. And we're also joined by Danish international superstar DJ Christian Pedersen. How's it going, Christian? That introduction, though. <laughs> Always. I'm just going to say, imagine racing for a team famous for engine over arrow, and in race number two of the season, you have an engine penalty. I know. I mean, That was Ferrari that said uh, aerodynamics is for people who can't build engines and uh, yeah well i guess they need some aerodynamics then it's race number two that's too early for an indian penalty i'll say no let's jump to wild conclusions about this season but let's start off with the race action and i guess let's find out where the race was won and lost Okay, Matt, I think it's fair to start with, I think, the most interesting story of the race weekend. I think that's that's where we like to go, isn't it? We don't go team by team. We don't go blow by blow. We don't recap the race that you just watched, just the things that are interesting to us. And I think the story of the race was Max Verstappen with his drive shaft issue out in Q2, having to start from P15. And the big question was, would he be able to fight back to win this race? I thought it was a shoo-in. I thought it was easy. I thought we had a guaranteed Red Bull 1-2, and I just, something in my head, even as a Perez fan, I just thought he was going to swan to the front of the grid. You had a, a different pre-race theory. Uh, yeah, I did. And this is based on a lot of different things, but, you know, mostly facts. Oh. Namely, namely into wit, that it's really hard to win from that position just because you lose so much time cutting through traffic. And I actually went and looked at the Bahrain race, and I said, well, who started in the 15th spot? And that would have been Alex Albon. And I said, well, you know, when they enabled DRS, what he'd moved up to P13, and he was already 12 seconds behind the leader. So I was immediately thinking, all these people thinking, easy win for Verstappen. I was like, no way, there's so much that could go wrong for him. Yeah, there's there's a lot of room, of course, coming from P15. There's so much time there in theory for even just a small thing to happen. You know, Max accidentally clips a wall somewhere, pulling off a bit of a risky manoeuvre. But I do think the fact of the matter is, with with a driver like Max, a lot of the drivers in front of him just kind of don't put up too much of a fight because they think, well, he's not my problem. You know, he's not the person yeah. that he, they're trying to fight. And we, we so, did get that with Mercedes, though, as well, in that era. And you can kind of see it. And, yeah, and Kate, Kevin Magnussen can, kind of confirmed it on the grid. And he said, you know, what are you going to do with Verstappen around? He said, well, it's not my problem, is it? Just won't lose, <laughs> won't lose time fighting. But I mean, even with Alonso at the front of the grid, thinking with Perez, it, there was a bit of not believing that maybe he had to put up a fight because actually his race was with the people behind him and poor Alonso, as we then saw, it didn't quite work out. But I think there's a mentality within the rest of the grid that Red Bull are a bit untouchable. And quite frankly, they, prov- they proved that today. Yeah, well, you know, they were untouchable within themselves. But Christian, they, there no, was a, think- still some infighting to have. I think you're going to look a little bit ridiculous if you try to fight with Verstappen because everyone, it's, this, is, this is all facts. Everyone knows they're second faster, maybe 1.5 second. 
so placing your heart <laughs> in a defensive manner. <laughs> I mean, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you can you can basically feel most of the grid feels like that. So even Hamilton and those guys when Verstappen comes from behind, I mean, what are you going to do? But it it is a bit disappointing though. No, in some ways we want to see some really good racing, and it almost feels like the grid are a little bit resigned to Red Bull winning everything. Because maybe if some of the mid pack did put up a bit more of a fight, we would have had a more interesting race on our hands. And you know, Max luck was on his side today, especially with the safety car. However, that if there was a bit more of a spa maybe in the middle with a few of the drivers, it could have been a little bit tighter. I don't know. I think it's it's disappointing almost that the rest of the grid seem to have accepted how fantastic Red Bull are because that works so much in Red Bull's favour. Well, I totally agree with that point. Uh, I I also I think it's a it's a first of all mental thing that. If you know there's no chance, you're just going to put down your shoulders. I don't think you, you can even convince yourself to do it. And that's the same vibe within the teams. But if you look at the, the times from, let's say, qualifying, uh, FP3, something like that, you have the entire – I'm not talking Red Bull. Let's just exclude Red Bull from this, uh, from yeah. this diagram. But you have the entire field basically within one second. So this is 10 different uh, garages building 10 different cars from four different engines – and they are all within the same percentage. I mean, that is that is mind blowing. That is not happening in any other businesses. This is uh, unique. But doesn't that prove prove the point though? Does even in just what you've just said, like if we exclude the Red Bulls from comparison, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> they are in their own yeah. league. You know, <laughs> they in order definitely to make, are. Yeah, well, in order to make meaningful comparison between the grid, we need to exclude Red Bulls because they are an anomaly <laughs> in the best possible way. I mean, it's unheard of. But Surely. maybe we could see a Paris Verstappen fight. I, I bet we all kind of had that vibe during the last third of the race or something. Maybe, maybe a Nico <laughs> Hamilton. Oh, uh, don't, don't. Like, yeah, look, look, don't, don't make me hope. Uh, we'll de- definitely get onto uh, Perez um, in a little while. Uh, but Matt, yeah, you were picking out right from the beginning that he needed a safety car in each stint. Verstappen did to, but, but I think it was a little closer than that. Uh, he, I was a little worried after the first safety car, <laughs> but I had I had imagined in my hypothetical scenario scenario that he would be fourth at the pit stops, and that's actually kind of where he was. And I think I worked out that with the laps and like say a twelve second deficit, which didn't seem unreasonable, that he still needed like oh, what was it like maybe uh, four tenths of a second per lap on Perez to catch him in in 30 laps so i just I, I just looked at those numbers and i thought well you might get that on a single lap but over that many laps i just mm. didn't see max being that much faster i just there was and the only thing that would have made it work at that point was another safety car collapsing the gap all the way christian i think again we see uh the the um, um should we say the the, the gains you, you get from basically leading the race Verstappen using his tires going through the field and stuff, uh, that would definitely handicap him uh, at the last part of the race. But still, there's a linger of hope. <laughs> that perhaps there's a title up front to fight for. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I just want to go back to what you were saying, Matt. I, I, I don't know if a safety car could have brought Max onto the podium. Uh, the win, the because, win. Yeah. Well, or the win, I yeah. mean, yes. Just because it 
it was between him and Checo. And that would have involved then the team interfering with who they wanted to win in terms of, you know, Checo was on course for a very well-deserved win who and he controlled the race up until that point, say, of the hypothetical safety car. So that would mean in pit strategy, in order for Max to win, Red Bull would have had to then introduce some kind of under or yeah. overcut wherein Max comes out on top. And that opens up a whole debate in itself of do we enforce team orders this early in the season purely based on the probability that later in the season we think Max is going to be the better driver. And here's the thing with the Verstappen performance. I I still think that this is the standout drive of the day, kind of, to come from P15 to P2, even to get that close to Perez. And there's a lot of things that are positive about Perez's performance, Matt. But the fact is he used up a lot of tyres getting up there, probably got a a cheaper stop on on the safety car, got to stop a little bit earlier. They all stopped yeah, they all for stopped the safety earlier. car, yeah. uh, Verstappen and Perez and Russell and Hamilton, I believe. Yes, but what that meant was he, the penalty for using up his tyres coming from P15 kind of got wiped out. And now they're back on even tyres again. And yeah. so in that scenario, he still got to then do the harder bit, really, which was get through the faster cars. Um, but you could see the car advantage really starkly. And I have to say, I'm not anti-DRS in any way. I don't think it's perfect. Uh, but... The way Verstappen breezed past a a George Russell who was on form in an improved Mercedes like it was standing still, it just rendered, didn't it not just render DRS and the title fight sort of ridiculous in one one swoop? He sort of played with the other cars at the last corner (laughs) and then uh, finally he was just like, well, never mind, I'll just do what I don't even need to do that, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I will say I did have a lot of comments on my videos saying nerf DRS, like DRS is too powerful. And it, it does open up the debate, yes, but I do think ultimately it does just come down to the fact that that Red Bull's pace is Ooh, And their DRS. Incredible. Yeah. Well, with the DRS mm. especially, but that just accentuates pre-existing abnormal greatness in the car. <laughs> Matt. Well, what I love about this is you saying that drive from 15th to 2nd was the drive of the day, but I think I'm going to argue with you. How? I think I'm going to say Perez at the front on the restart with Max only two spots behind him Mm. and matching him once Max is in 2nd all the way to the end of the race. I mean, I think that's I think that's worth a little bit. I was oh, watching and, their lap times, and there was nary a tenth between them, lap after lap after lap. Antonio is desperate to argue, but Rankin, Ranko, uh, there wasn't really a period, was there, where Max was just chewing chunks out of Perez's lead, and he wasn't able to respond. If if Max could have closed that down to two seconds, I'm sure he would have done. My goodness, when will we stop praising the bare minimum? Perez is an absolutely exceptional driver. Why are we always acting surprised that he drives yeah, like an exceptional driver? Yeah. What, you know, we're placing Max on such a pedestal because, yes, he is a once in a generational <laughs> talent. He's absolutely phenomenal. But so is Perez. That's why he's Max's teammate, as he should keep the lead. He's a fantastic driver. He shouldn't make mistakes because he's not the type of driver to make mistakes. And Max, his teammate in equal machinery, shouldn't be taking chunks out of his time. Perez did an absolutely fantastic job, as he should. Yeah. Matt? Well, I want to pick up on the words equal machinery. The reason a lot of people were surprised at Perez is because he did struggle with last year's car. And I think it's a big, important point to make that this year's car clearly works much better for him 
relatively speaking. Now, we'll see what happens when developments come onto the car. But for the time being, they seem to be pretty well matched. And I got to say, if there's going to be a saving grace for the season right now, it's probably going to be that. How about that radio for Paris where he <laughs> calls the pit saying, um, so guys, which uh, what's my lap time? Is it 32.6? Yeah, 32.6 is fine. But, but how about Verstappen? Yeah, he's 32.6. <laughs> Weren't he 32.4? Well, uh, I wouldn't uh, worry about uh, it too much. <laughs> don't worry about it, but just, yeah, 32.6 is fine. And then he just put the pedal down. I mean, imagine being the the racing driver in that car and not feeling your mm. team is actually on your side. I'm not sure if this was just a mistake, and I'm not sure if how much that radio was delayed because at the time it was broadcasted, it wasn't even the right uh, reference time they gave him. So it all just—I mean, uh, you don't want uh, shouldn't his side of the garage at least be on his side and fight for the win? Yeah, and he's yes. been burned before, though. I think. I think this is. I actually would argue that it was about the same for both of the drivers. And I think the communication with the drivers echoed the uncertainty, the uncertainties that we as a fan base are seeing, which is that Red Bull aren't presenting a very clear one-two preferential lineup this season. Aside from the expected mm. Max is the world champion, he's probably the better driver. Because when they were communicating with Max about fastest lap, at that point, Perez had Good the point. fastest lap. Yeah. And they said, Max, don't worry about it. They didn't say push for fastest lap, mm. even though, you know, as his engineers, you might expect them to want Max to get the fastest lap. It seems that actually this year they're coming in deliberately with equal footing, thinking, you know what? We could actually have two world championship drivers and let's start treating them both like championship winning drivers. I'm not saying that uh, it's wrong, actually, because if I was the team boss at Red Bull, I would just go for Max 100% and have a second driver only supporting Max because that is just the way forward. The, the what I don't like is it, it feels like they're telling Sergio Perez one story and then acting another one. And that I think that's going to give them trouble uh, as a team eventually. Uh, Matt? Yeah, well, I, I, this brings up another, I think, really big sort of underlying story here. And that is that neither one of those, like from a Red Bull point of view, they didn't want Max caring about the fast lap because they had a car that they weren't sure would finish the race. The last thing you want is people going, you know, pushing the very limits of your machinery if you think the car is going to break. Having said that, listening to the driver radio, it was clear that neither driver was listening to the team in the slightest. <laughs> they were like toddlers high on candy running around the room. Uh. And you're there as a parent going... Yeah, I just give up. I mean, they literally said they that. They did. How many times have I, I've had this with my boy and he's like on the, what do you call it? The jungle gym or the climbing right. frame. I'm like, don't go on top of it. You're not supposed to go on the, the top of the roof bit. It's not. Do you know what? Fine. Fine. I'm just going to go exactly. over. I'm going to have a coffee. <laughs> so so when you British people say things like jungle gym and stuff mm. like that, it just, just know then 90% of who's listening to this is going like, what are these, these <laughs> tea people doing? I have to I have to translate between American and English. I'm all over it. Don't worry. Transatlantic, transatlantic pod. But look, uh, you know, I had my my bet down on a, a Red Bull one two, Matt, and I don't think that was that was in doubt. It, in a way, it was always going to be down to Verstappen versus Perez. And and I think we've got a perfect storm here with Perez, where he was decisive on the first lap to get past Alonso, which is not always decisive on lap one. His start wasn't as bad as normal, but still pretty bad. 
and then uh, and then he, he he cleared the field and pulled a gap. So this is also a street circuit that suits him, and he seems a little bit more comfortable in this car relative to to Max Verstappen. Anyway, so I guess the fear as a Perez fan would be that this is just a perfect storm of events, and oh, and and he's good enough to have this perfect storm every now and then. But I still think Verstappen wins this race seven or eight times out of ten. That's my that's my that's my that's my odds, Matt. And you're shaking your head. Nope, I disagreed with when I put it. I put it in the chat after the safety car. I'm like, he needs 0.23 seconds a lap from here out to catch Perez at the end of the race. And you were like, you thought it was. Oh easy yeah, I thought it'd be easy. I thought it'd be easy. Yeah, and and it's just mm. it's when the cars are in racing trim, and they have they have only a limited amount of fuel that they have to make last. And they have tires that can't be overheated. The differences you see in qualifying really get very, very narrowed down. Mm. And I think a lot of people miss that because they look at the qualifying gaps and think that that can be done lap after lap without refueling. You can't do that anymore. But is it fair to say that this is the Red Bull was showing its pace today when it might not necessarily want to? Had Verstappen not had that issue and had just been out in P1, he'd have pulled the gap and then maintained it. And Perez would have been told, you know, just hold station, tire save, and maybe they've only got a gap of like 10, 15 seconds to the field. But today we saw that that car at full beans and they, they've showed us it. They've showed us what's under the hood now. And uh, there's no denying that's a monster. I think actually today was a very good example of Red Bull showing that they can dominate in every aspect. Mm. They aren't just a car who can win from the front row. They're a car that can win from very far back in the field. They've got every type of pace. You know, but just going back to what you were saying earlier with um, the upgrades coming and with it being a perfect storm, perhaps for Perez, mm. I would love to think that it isn't. But, you know, we've got upgrades coming through the year. And of course, those will be tailored to whichever driver that the team want to kind of put the proverbial eggs in the basket of. However, I do think this early in the season, that's a really promising thing to see that Perez is winning races and is doing so confidently and commanding a race, driving intelligently, because it means that unlike last year, maybe where Red Bull were coming off of the back of a disputed championship, they wanted to prove themselves again. And the best way to do so was by putting all of their eggs in a proven champion, Max, you know, and putting forward the best that they have. Whereas this year, maybe subconsciously on a psychological level, the team know that they have the ability to win championships, not just as a driver, but the constructors. So they can think, actually, we can really have a toy around with this and see what the best formula is for us to win. Christian? I don't know if uh, any other of you, uh, when you watched the last part of the race, when suddenly Perez called in and said, listen, my, my break is long. And then uh, Verstappen called up and you can basically hear Mariah Carey's soprano noise in the background. <laughs> I was thinking, okay, the Adrian Newey uh, cloud <laughs> is maybe moving in over Jeddah because Adrian Newey is, at least he was, famously, notoriously known for building cars that are so fast Every engineer working on the car mechanic hate Adrian Newey cars because they are impossible to work with because they, at least this was uh, back in the McLaren days, they were manufactured in a way that was only to the benefit of the car. There was not thought about how you worked on it, how you drove yeah, it, et cetera. Yeah. And that is why, for instance, the Kimi Raikkonen and McLaren days, the car broke down all the time. But when it didn't, it just blow, blew everyone away. When I saw the last part of the race, if both Red Bulls had gone out today, 
that would have yes. been, uh, I mean, that would have been we, the Adrian Newey phenomenon. Mm. I'm not hoping for that because, I mean, hats off for that car. No, and we'd be having a very different conversation now. We'd be having a Definitely. similar conversation to what we had last season when, you know, they were having the DNFs and it gave all the Ferrari hat fans false hope. And I'm just, I'm grateful that the Ferrari fans' hope has been snubbed out so early this season because I, I hate stringing those guys along. It's not fair. They have, they have suffered enough. Has not everyone suffered enough? <laughs> Proverbially, of course. Yeah. I mean, gen- genuinely speaking, it's great to see a team nail it as much as Red Bull mm. are. Yeah. But I would, I'd just love to see some other teams also nailing it and also coming out with these absolutely phenomenal feats of engineering. Like It's like I said at the start of the episode, I'd love to see McLaren up there. You know, me being British girl through and through, it'd be fantastic to see them up there you know, winning podiums with the most dominant car ever. But it's a lot more fun when there's a few of them all fighting against each other. Well, if we're wishing for things, I'd like a second home on the beach that I go to alone. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. I'd, like, I'd like a Porsche 911 and yeah, a Ferrari exactly. championship win. So, so nothing against a Red Bull or Verstappen, but if you wanted to say put hope and say, right, is this championship season over or not, which everyone was saying it was after race one, we've seen a few things that might go, no there's still a little bit of interest to be had. The the Perez thing, you know, winning and looking, you know, decent as well, albeit off the back of a, a difficult qualifying for Verstappen, kind of opens up a little bit of intrigue. Also, the fact that down the line, uh, he was celebrating with all the Red Bull mechanics, uh, got to Jos Verstappen, and neither of them, there was no awkward moment, they both knew that Perez was skipping past Jos Verstappen. And so so there's not all is well there still. And uh, listening to the radio conversations, oh, yeah. Well, Perez thinks Perez thinks he's in it. Whatever anyone else thinks, Perez thinks he's still in it. And then the second thing is that car doesn't look bulletproof. So there's going to be little glimmers of, of hope for the other teams, yeah, and that may well get snuffed out by Barcelona. But at the moment, Matt, they 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 are they do look good, but they're not invincible, and it's not all settled for Verstappen. Not in the slightest. And I love that you bring up uh, that that moment. Um, not just after the race, but if you think about like how Max was talking on the radio about his car, mm. he didn't sound like a driver who knew he was going to win no matter what. And a confident Perez is about the last thing he really wants at this point in the season. Uh, this is a tire question for Matt. Spanners, do we have time? I said a quick final point, yeah, Christian, I know. and then I know. you bring up tyres. Yes, go on, we quick, have quick, an quick. extra 45 minutes. Continue. <laughs> go on, go on, go on. Okay, after Bahrain, uh, which is the most abrasive uh, tarmac uh, during the year, I think, uh, for the cars, the Red Bulls were just running around on the soft tyre twice on f- full fuel, not destroying them. Mm. My thought was, if they can do that on the most abrasive tarmac, how about when they get to the uh, races where the tarmac is completely different, which, which is Jeddah? And they still do that. How is this possible with, with the tires, the management from Red Bull? I mean, well, there's only one person to ask about that, and that's Antonia. Exactly, oh. Antonia. <laughs> well, of course, that's, that's why we have our different, our different compounds, I suppose, isn't it? Yes, the, the, t- the asphalt abrasiveness score for Bahrain is very high, and Bahrain generally is very hard on the tires due to just brake intensity, the actual physical demands yeah. of the track. It's very high downforce in some areas. It's, it's, that it requires some hard tyres. But that's why, of course, we have the whole Pirelli range to move between so that when we go to another circuit, what is the soft tyre in Bahrain is then a hard tyre elsewhere, for example. You know, it's that's 
that's where the Pirelli range comes in. In terms of the Red Bull itself, it's very clearly just a car that looks after its tyres well. Mm. And it's got a good relationship with that Pirelli compound. Definitely. Matt? Uh, yeah, I just, I, I would add to that. Uh, really, I would pick up on the last of what Antonio said, which is the Red Bull is simply has superior downforce and balance. Therefore, it does the least damage to its tires and is best able to keep them from overheating and otherwise falling into trouble. As to why we saw other teams doing better, well, the other characteristic of the Jetta circuit is it is a front-limited circuit, whereas at Bahrain, it was rear-limited, which made a lot of teams look even worse uh, than they will be at most of the other races this season. And let's uh, let's move on to the the second team of the weekend, and in fact, the the team that's running second in the championship overall. That's for oh, it's not Ferrari, is it? Oh, it's Aston. Oh, no, no, no. Who is it? Sorry, can I just check the graphs? Who's second in the championship at the moment? Oh, is it Mercedes AMG Petronas F1 team? Like I said, it would be very quickly. Oh, yes, it would be. All you people sliding into my DMs. I don't need you. I don't need a a groveling apology. I don't need you to delete your Twitter account in shame. I will simply accept bunches of flowers uh, sent to Missed Apex Podcast at theshed.reallife. See, Matt? See? I told you. Second best team. Undeniable. Yeah, (laughs) as long as we're not talking about the actual pace of the car or the fact that probably had Stroll not made more money pulling off of the circuit than completing the race. No. That's a joke. No, no, hang on. Performance, right? You don't get points for a pace. You get points for performance. Yeah. Part of that performance is knowing where to park your car. Yeah. And part of that performance is knowing when you are allowed to put the car up on the jacks. Russell parked his car in the right place. Russell didn't have to serve a penalty and get another penalty on top of that. Table doesn't lie. Boom. Everyone agrees with me. Oh, wait, are we talking about Ocon or Alonso here? I'm confused. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Don't get him started on Ocon. My goodness, we don't have time. <laughs> uh, but look, I'm going down in championship and race order, which means that we're going to talk about Mercedes race now. I finished gloating. Half the audience has turned off. I'll check the live stream figures to see how true that is. Yep, yep, yep. No one enjoyed that bit. Uh, but M- Mercedes race, I guess we start with with George Russell, Antonia. You know, I, I had a funny feeling about George Russell all weekend, all through practice, where Lewis Hamilton was being ragged. He just kind of got on with it. And then sure enough, qualifying, he pops right up there, four tenths above Lewis Hamilton. You just go, ooh, there's something. There's something real, isn't it? Yeah, you know, when you said something in the group chat saying, I have a feeling about George yeah. Russell, I knew that if he even remotely performed well, you'd brag about this. So <laughs> yeah, I've been prepared it. for this Psychic question. spanners, yeah. yeah. And of course you did. And now all of the <laughs> money you made from betting on him, I'm sure, is funding the podcast for a few more years. That's a little bit true. <laughs> no, he he did a great job. Russell, generally speaking, is a fantastic driver in terms of he can just put his head down and get results. You know, today, towards the end of the race, we saw him getting a little bit flustered in terms of Alonso because there was a little bit going on with that penalty that we weren't sure about. And yeah, he pushed towards the end of the race. I think he was 5.1, was it, by the end of the race behind Alonso, just slightly missed the five-second mark. But of course, it was a 10-second penalty, so that didn't end up mattering. But no, I actually think he put on a fantastic performance this weekend. George, I think his experience at Williams did him a very big solid in terms of he just has good confidence in his ability to draw great potential out of a car and do well. So yeah, Hamilton didn't have the best weekend, but 
peripheral peripherally to him he's got tunnel vision and he put on a great performance today p3 yes i'm sure there's going to be a lot of people in the comments saying i've already had people in mind going mafia you know with the fia thing and saying <laughs> mercedes oh, assistant it's all rigged goodness you know and what whatever you think about that george did a good job i just need to briefly interject those are provisional results My and word. we don't actually know yet if he's finished third or not and why Carry is that? On. Why is that, Trumpets? Uh, because they've not finished hearing the Aston evidence about the penalty yet. Oh, okay. All right. See, and uh, but listening to Mike Crack giving his opinion on that, it all came down to whether or not uh, uh, using the jack counted as as working on the car. So it didn't seem to be like they'd um, they'd got their Mississippi's wrong. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. Hey, Derek, put that jack down. I don't think it was that. I think they just thought they were allowed to put the the jack on. And so that's just going to come down to who's read the rules right. But I I think everyone feels confident that that's actually a penalty. Antonia, then Christian. I, I said this about Ocon in Bahrain. In my opinion, this kind of thing is very arbitrary. As the team, it is your responsibility, especially in terms of this kind of thing, to know exactly what you are and are not allowed to do. So in that way, I find it very black and white. They shouldn't have had the jack under the car. Therefore, they got a penalty. I'm... I'm sure they can they can argue as much as they like that, you know, we didn't know you weren't allowed to have the jack under the car. And then we can debate with the wall about whether that counts as working on the car. But if the FIA in their regulations have said you are not allowed to, then in my opinion, it is that simple. And that was a fair enough penalty. In regards to the um, to the times in the race, when Hamilton, after the restart from the safety car, Hamilton had fresh tyres, right? Uh, uh, soft. No, it wasn't. It was the yellow one. Um, and uh, ha- Russell was in front on hearts and Hamilton catched him. And then as soon as he catched him, I don't know what happened. We didn't hear the radio, but Russell just upped up his pace, upped up his pace so much that he was almost within uh, DRS on Alonso. And then Hamilton's tires dropped off and then they both dropped off, off, off the pace of Alonso and he pulled away again. I just found that little seance kind of odd that, if mm. Russell really wanted to go fast, he could go fast, and Hamilton could go fast, and then suddenly none of them could go fast. It seems like there's something in the car that is not being used all the time. Yeah. So the general point there, I think it's a, it's a dance we see fairly often uh, in mid stint, where and I know, I know Matt, Matt's the one who's really schooled me on this kind of you know tactics is when when you see a gap close, it's not necessarily because one driver is just better or faster than the other. Sometimes, you know, drivers are saving. And the message that came from Russell seemed to be, well, I'm tyre saving. Surely, surely Hamilton should be saving as well. And, and then we'll both go and get Alonso together. And then that's when he lied about um, not thinking that uh, Alonso had his, had his penalty served already. Uh, Matt, Matt. Add, oh, gone. So, just want to add one small thing. Uh, the consistency from Mercedes is what's going to be the difference in the end. Uh, it's always been Hamilton's uh, thing. It's always been Alonso's thing. Consistency, consistency, consistency. And you have to argue Mercedes is consistent this year. Trumpets. Yeah, now we're getting to something that really, really interests me, uh, both from an intra-team point of view. You have Lewis on faster tires catching up with Russell. Now, even if Russell had that pace in hand, why would you not let Lewis chase down Alonso, who's only a second or two ahead, on those faster tires? And here, yeah. here's my reasoning. Yeah. Now, tell me, right. tell me, tell me if you disagree with me. My reasoning is pretty simple. 
on those medium tires, Hamilton might have had an off chance at slowing down Alonso, making him defend, and maybe even getting past him with the superior grip because we saw him, we saw Hamilton make some very good moves and use those tires very effectively at the restart after the safety car. But those tires at that pace probably wouldn't have held on the Mercedes because it is not arguably, it is the third fastest car in the field behind Alonso and an Aston and Stroll possibly, but with broken wrist and he continues to stop early, who knows? At that point, you've backed Alonso into Russell, who will have better tires and potentially mm. be able to take him on track for that position. But Mercedes didn't make that team order yes. happen. And they wanted to. I think that was their instinct was to go, Hamilton's going faster on a softer tire, go through. And Russell just didn't, uh, didn't yield. He came up with reasons. And then ultimately, yep. he said, right, do you know what? I, I was tire saving, but I'm going to use up a lot of my tire allocation and my tire wear now to fend off this team order. And, and then maybe that's ultimately why he didn't have you know, enough, enough juice, enough beans to go and chase Alonso down at the end. So even though they might technically have got the podium, it sounds like what you're saying is Russell cost Mercedes a podium. It just, like, it sticks in my head. It's kind of odd to see that when teammates are on different tire strategies that you don't give preference to the strategies playing out in their best fashion. Thing is, though, we don't know if uh, they told Russell Hamilton is coming and he said, I want to keep it. Then they said, fight for it. And he just drove away. We don't know if that happened, basically. And that could have happened. But that would have been a very bad call from Mercedes to go, oh, OK, uh, you guys sort it out amongst yourselves. And and mm -hmm. and and in doing that, destroy both your tire strategies. That doesn't feel like that would have been the call. A Antonio. Well, it's like we said, they were on different strategies and. Lewis would his strategist will have factored in a potential chase within that so that mm. once he did chase and catch ultimately he wouldn't have wasted valuable tires instead he kind of vegged for a little while whilst the tires kind of just degraded a little bit slowly and yeah I mean did did that cost them a podium because they have a provisional podium has it all just kind of worked out quite happily for them in the end uh, yeah so yeah I suppose yeah the hypothetical situation that we were arguing that has kind of been dissipated given that you know they were given that penalty in the end but going forward in the season are Mercedes kind of too nice and too diplomatic to just put their foot down and go George enough's enough we think this is the best tactic pull over let him buy because ultimately that's in his contract if they say to do that you know the, the, he, he, he quote unquote has to do it or face the consequences Too nice and diplomatic? Absolutely not. I would like to see George Russell's villain arc begin today. Oh, I meant Mercedes, not George Russell. I've been saying this from the beginning. George Russell, he's he's a he's a, well, a, posh, a posh tiger. <laughs> Mercedes have allowed it to happen under their nose before, wherein we've had some fantastic killer battles with Rosberg and Hamilton. Mm. I would like George Russell to slowly, over the course of this season, begin his arc towards becoming more Rosbergian. Wherein by the end of this, I'm going to coin that term. Again, actually. yeah, I think he's been like yeah. that from the beginning. Honestly, well, I, I again, they don't really mm. have the car to do a Rosbergian yeah, yeah, yeah. win, but if I would love to see some real 
spats between some teammates this year. I don't mind if I get it from Verstappen and Perez or from, you know, I don't mind. It can come from any of the teams. I would, I just love a little bit of really good battles between teammates where we've got some of the politics. They're an (laughs) equal-ish machinery, bar a few tweaks. I think it's great because it's like I've said so many times, the best way to judge a driver is by the performance of their teammate. So if they are right on each other's level, that's fantastic. You just want a soap opera. You won't be happy until George Russell's evil twin turns up. Goodness. You know, yeah. don't don't align me with the stereotypes of my generation. <laughs> I beg of you, don't make me start talking about downforce and stuff. I'll spit out some tech talk right now just to backtrack on those comments. Okay, no one call her Gen Z, Matt. Matt, don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know what her generation's called. Uh, uh, okay. Last point on this, Max. I do want to dig into some. I want some sofa psychology. I was going to say, hang on, I'm just going long on aluminum before I start this comment. But do you remember Hamilton stating the team didn't listen to him? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I remember that too. Do you see how happy Russell is in the car right now? Yeah. Does anybody else besides me remember that time at McLaren when he was with Button and they kept on trying to make Button faster? Instead of doing what Lewis asked with the car, I just wonder if there's maybe already some unhappiness on the Lewis side of the camp because what we're seeing now goes back to decisions that were made in the winter where they took George's recommendations and not Lewis's. I I would understand the frustration behind that because being an immensely experienced, talented, you know, every positive adjective in the book driver that Lewis is, I'm sure he is expecting his opinion to be taken seriously because as it should. However, I, I also probably think that there's a bit psychologically where Lewis perhaps sees himself as a considerably more valuable opinion than Mm. George. And that might not in every single case necessarily be the truth. I'm sure there's many times being different drivers, having different styles where George's opinion and Lewis's directly clash. And unfortunately, sometimes the team might go with George because you can't always listen to every input from one driver. You've got to take on a balanced perspective because you win and lose as a team. So, for instance, if I was uh, like uh, working on a TV show and there was a host, he's been hosting for 10 years somewhere, he's a famous host, and he tells us, no, I don't want that. Then we always listen to him because we we know from his experience it won't work. I have a feeling within the Formula 1 team where you have 1,500 people, well, you have between 600 to 1,500 people, uh, that experience, if no one listens to that and it goes wrong, then that host, for instance, on the TV show would go to all of us. But I told you, and if that happens again and again, he will lose his blah, 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 blah. He will do a bad TV show. That is the same for Hamilton. I bet you if I was a seven-time world champion and I said to my team, listen, do this and this and this, and they didn't listen and the car was crap, I would feel very demoted. I, I, I completely see where you're coming from, completely. However, we're acting as if he's the only one with experience on this team. No, all I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Like no, that. no, no, of course. But as in all of these mechanics and every other person working on this team is immensely experienced. So we can't forget, of course, of course, Lewis's opinion is immensely valuable. But as is that of every yeah. mechanic who probably has a right to listen to George and go, actually, yeah, I agree. There's a there's a phenomenon in like football coaching, like you can lose the dressing room and, and players can do that. Managers can lose that. And in F1, you can lose the garage. And I think like Fernando Alonso 2007 lost 
that McLaren garage and it, it flitted over. Sebastian Vettel lost the Ferrari garage 100%, you know, after too many clashes with Leclerc, after pretty much throwing away 2017 and 2018. So it can happen. And so it was a bit of a clumsy statement that, to be fair, Lewis Hamilton has walked back from where he said, look, uh, they didn't listen to me. I know how to build a car. And, you know, if, they, if you're a mechanic, you think, well, mate, I, you know, I, I, I kind of build the car and, and we fix it. Um, and then Toto Wolff's response to a lot of Lewis Hamilton's comments was, um, well, if we can't provide him a car, I guess he'll go somewhere else and, you know, I won't have any hard feelings. And then we come out and, and everything seems to suit Russell. So, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll all take a share of uh, uh, Matt's tinfoil hat for a little bit but i do just wish that sometimes and it's a stupid wish because we've been watching lewis hamilton for the last however many years 14 years that he wouldn't just tell us all his feelings he's so honest absolutely honest to a fault and and like i tell my children you know if you've got a feeling push it deep deep down in a tight angry ball when no one will ever see it and what did they say on frozen matt conceal don't feel don't let it show he's doing the opposite of that he was on the ragged edge in practice. He just seemed to be overdriving it Friday and Saturday, uh, and then and then and then he did, he went for the flip strategy of the hard tire, which to me feels like the chancer strategy. It feels like Jensen Button when he used to just do the opposite of everybody else when some rain came down. Whatever everyone else did, he did the opposite, and he might look like a genius. And you don't do that alternate hards strategy if you've qualified well and if you're feeling on top of it. So it was a. It was to me. It felt like, oh, that's a disappointing approach. He's going for the the gambler's choice, uh, Matt. Uh, yeah, it was very much the gambler's choice. And I will say, I mean, uh, if I'm remembering last year correctly, this may not be simply his favorite track. This might be mm. a bit of a bogey track for him, which might be part of it. But yeah, no, you don't start seventh and put on the hard tires unless you think you do not have the pace to compete with the people around you, Christian. Uh, they are already talking about how, how the new concept of the new F uh, W14 will be. And they are already talking about the gains they see from the new approach, which is m making me think this must have been started way back. And yeah. then probably they chose a route at some point so they don't have to start from scratch. They are already in the tunnel and stuff like that. So, I mean... In a month's time, if we have a Mercedes capable of fighting Red Bull and they are second in the championship, it's not, I mean, it's not dead yet. Mm. Mm. Don't, just, don't just say, mm, mm. Spanner. I agree. Well, I want to agree, but you, you, you're right, Christian, in that they've said, you know, we've made more gains in the last, since, you know, presumably since Bahrain uh, on paper than they made over like winter testing or something. So there's a lot of big noises coming out of Mercedes and they don't tend to, to overpromise like that. They, they tend to kind of manage expectations, but now they're going, no, we've made gains. So there you go, Antonia. By Barcelona, Mercedes are back in the hunt. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I feel as though what Mercedes are doing right now is the exact opposite of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah. Wherein it is broke and they are fixing it. They're trying absolutely everything to, you know, mix and match and try and figure out the best way forward with the car concept. And I think that's why we're seeing a, a driver who was so frustrated, Lewis Hamilton, who was so talented and, yes, yeah, so used to having a fantastic car beneath him. Of course he's driving like he has everything on the line because he wants to be up there so badly. He's trying everything in the book because hopefully if they try everything, one of them will work. That's why we've got a whole new, what feels like their backup plan car mm. coming through where they thought, we actually know we might not start the season very strong and we know this concept might not work. So we'll have one in the back waiting. And hopefully if the first one doesn't work, this one will. So I bet the new concept that we'll see will almost be the the black and white opposite of the concept we're seeing now because they just want to try anything, understandably, to make it work. Matt? Show me the numbers and the Aston Martin side pods. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well so we're going to aston martin uh, matt whilst yes we are still uh, watching on twitter and and seeing the ongoing back and forth that the pen aston martin penalty might yet be overturned curse you fia for not getting this sorted quickly and the uh, <laughs> and that we might be wrong but first thing is really starting to bite us in the butt here and my whole ranty monologue at the beginning of the Mercedes bit will be turned on its head because I believe that would put Aston Martin back into second place if that penalty yep. is is taken away. Penalty and, uh, is overturned. Oh, you're joking. Has yes, that really happened? Just so on Reddit. Oh, forget that. Oh, right. come well, on. Well, it's, it's, uh, oh, yes, the most reliable source. Yeah, but it's Alba Fabrega on oh, Twitter. Okay, yeah, okay. So it should be fine. Done. Okay, so, uh, you know. So Alonso's just, uh, back. Ignore, ignore all that. And Alonso has tweeted about his podium as well. Um, but look, that is the that is the the risk of getting these race reviews ready for your Monday morning commute. So I hope you will forgive us. Um, but Aston Martin themselves, I think a testament to how good that car was handling and driving was the overtake of the day was I think beyond doubt uh, Lance Stroll around the outside of Carlos Sainz and uh, I I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't think Stroll suddenly is a better driver than Carlos Sainz but that was a, that was a great and and bold move around the outside that was a lovely move that was a perfect move and I mean it was probably the move of the race uh, if it wasn't from a Danish jeans. Uh, which leads me to, of course, pick another overtaking. But I mean, on the outside of corner 13, that is just a boss move. I, I've, I mean, I think this started a year ago. You and I, Spanners, were talking mm. about Stroll 
And he's got something in him. He's got something in him that no one sees just because he's got a very rich father. Uh, Matt, can you get in there? Because uh, Matt, your long pauses are working against you because yeah. Christian's just in there with his big Viking yeah. spirit with a big oar, a big Viking oar coming in. You've got to get in there quicker, Matt. Uh, sorry, I was watching now that Alonzo's penalty has been overturned to see if Ocon's has as well. It's not <laughs> happened yet. I'm just going to tell everybody. No, I, the thing that it shows that overtake, it, yeah, it does show that Stroll is a good driver. Maybe not the best, but a good driver. But what it really demonstrates is the superior qualities of the Aston Martin they have built, which was beyond argument, the second fastest car on circuit by team. I mean, not by individual driver. And it is, it is the second fastest car. They are the number two team right now, even though uh, with Stroll not finishing the race today, they are slightly behind Mercedes in the constructors. And it's going to be up to Ferrari and Mercedes, who have, well, given Aston's example, clearly under-delivered at the start of this season to make it up and take back the places that they think should be theirs. And that is going to be a great battle all year long. And I can't wait to see it play out. Antonia. No, I completely agree. I think we've got an absolutely fantastic season ahead of us. And that's why I get so frustrated when everyone says, oh, it's it's done already. <laughs> yeah. Red Bull may as well just take the trophies now. No, I've waited months <laughs> over Christmas for this. Yeah. I've waited. I want my battles. But no, aside from that, yeah, I, I, I'm I, very actually, I am admittedly happy to see that Alonso does get his podium. They were the second fastest car. They did deserve it. And it's great to see Aston Martin up there. The the improvement arc, obviously, with Stroll, him staying on the team, he's the main base of comparison for the car's performance. Um, I think it's really good to see them putting in solid performances, especially with Lance. Bless him. Two broken wrists. I wouldn't so much as be getting out of bed <laughs> if, if I were him. And here he is driving around at 200 kilometres an hour. So if he's putting in, if what we call the expected standard now, under the weather with a broken toe, I'm so excited to see how he the team as a whole get on towards the end of the season especially with upgrades i was holding my breath a bit in in qualifying christian i think i think he was on for pole at one point i I think after sector two he was he was on pole and you know and it's the greatest lap that never was but we never saw why he lost six tenths in the final sector so i'm assuming he just you know he overcooked it into the final corner but the the pole was was on genuinely for for stroll it was Alonso Banana at the last ah, corner. I see. I knew it. I Actually, knew it. I just wanted to mention a short thing because uh, there was a short interaction between George Russell and Alonso after, before the penalty came, yeah. came out uh, or the uh, verdict. And he said something in Spanish which, which has been uh, translated to, I don't care, they can't take the good times away from me. And <laughs> that is the most dangerous Fernando Alonso in the world, I think, mm. saying that. I think that speaks volumes for Alonso's presence in the sport, to be honest. When he came back, everyone was so uncertain about what on earth he was doing. I know I, for one, thought, my goodness, couldn't we have given this opportunity to a younger driver? Alonso's just coming back as a hobby. He's just doing it for the fun of it because retirement was a bit boring. But he came back with this absolute fighting spirit immeasurable talent and just a pure love of racing and my goodness hasn't it showed he has put in performance after performance and done a fantastic job and i personally i'm showing my age here i grew up with alonso in 
in, on my screen and seeing him back and actually putting in really impressive race results it's great because how it's like how often do we see a driver revive their career in the way that he has and I'm so glad actually in, George put a tweet out he said you know that Alonso deserved it he I'm nice to have another trophy but it belongs to Alonso and I'm glad that everyone's been very sporting about it but I cannot overstate how actually happy I am that Alonso's come back into the sport and brought back and rejuvenated so much of just the love of racing when did Fernando Alonso start in Formula One no don't start with the quiz I know when his championships were I'm trying to google it now uh just seeing when he started I'm trying to what I'm trying to get at is I think he may have been racing in F1 for your whole life I'm pretty sure it, it was it was this it was the same year or slightly <laughs> around the time that Oscar Piastri was born. Yeah, because there's been various <laughs> yeah. statistics about it. So it's it, give it a good. He's definitely been in F1 longer than me. I think we can safely say <laughs> I'm 19 years old. I am a fetus compared to these men. Yep, 2001. 2001. There we go. Confirmed. And go. we all hate you because of jealousy, Matt. I uh, just a minor tweak to Antonio's comment about. Alonzo reviving his career oh. after throwing it away multiple times in different series. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. That's correct. <laughs> and you might have missed it, but Ferrari competed in this Grand Prix as well. And I'll tell you what, although the Who? overall uh, uh, Scuderia Ferrari, and um, although the overall performance was was lacking like they seemed to be lacking pace they couldn't catch up to the mercedes at the end functionally and operationally we saw some some decent strategy from them yeah well and this gets into we we haven't really talked about the role that lance stroll played that was integral to the race in bringing out this safety car but if you were going to pick a team that was negatively affected by it you could hardly do worse than ferrari you have Leclerc making an amazing start on the soft tires, catching all the way up. He's by Hamilton. He's ahead of mm. the Alpines. He's right there. Max catches him, passes him. He dives for the pits. And meanwhile, you have poor Carlos Sainz, who racing Stroll for the fourth position at that point. Stroll dives in early in for the pits, undercut attempt, and Sainz uh, to goes overcut, gets out just in front of him. But the way it timed out was the pair of them were done with their pit stops before the safety car, and therefore they got completely hammered by Lewis on the hard tire, who was able to pit under the safety car, jump the both of them plus Alcon in one fell swoop. And after that, it was just Ferrari v. Ferrari. Yeah, I just to emphasize how horrendous this timing was for Ferrari. Lap 16, Carlos mm. signs pits. The overcast is successful. He comes out in front of Stroll. Everyone is happy. Lap 17, Leclerc pits. Verstappen moves up into fourth. Various other things happen. He comes out ahead of Stroll. Lap 18, Stroll parks his car. Ech. It's a series of yeah. unfortunate events. And if I were to bet my inheritance on a team to have misfortune on a on a race <laughs> it would unfortunately be ferrari because these these overcuts were working so well it was boom boom bang <laughs> christian but if you do things like the not warning about hamilton pitting 
during safety car so he Leclerc doesn't get out in front of him. If you do things like that in a team like Ferrari, I mean, I I, I think for a hundred pounds you could get built a software telling you that this would be a problem. Mm. And this is Ferrari. I mean, I, I just don't understand it. Explain explain quickly, Christian, what what was going on there because Leclerc was visibly, you know, audibly unhappy with his engineer. So when when you have a safety car uh, alert on your on your dash and on the on markings on the track, you have to uh, 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 turn down your speed and follow like a delta time. And there are certain uh, points on the track. Within those points, you have you you have to be a certain amount of fast and a certain amount of slow. <laughs> you have to be within a delta, basically like a virtual safety car, just uh, slower. And if you you can control that, you're you're not gonna gain an advantage, but you can you can be in one end of the delta time mm. or the other end. Yeah. You can be just behind, or you can be in the back end. If you if you are close to your delta, then maybe you can gain something. For instance, if someone pits, then maybe you can come out in front of them, at least hit the the uh, what's it called safety car line before mm. them. Then you will gain an advantage. But if they don't tell that to the driver, yeah, that's rough. That's rough. Uh, Let's go with uh, Antonia and then Matt. Yes, and ultimately this communication, miscommunication I should say, puts him behind Hamilton, a car that he could have really done being in front of. And poor Leclerc, we hear radio message after radio message of him emphasising his frustration. And I said this last season, they have all of the ingredients of a world championship dominating team Ferrari they could be great and yet the connections between this circle of great points are made out of spaghetti there's there's very poor communication I mean surely this is the most simple form of communication in a team the pit wall and the driver surely that's one of the most simple forms of communication and to tell him information like that late which is so valuable for not just championship points but grid position but also just in its core, Charles Leclerc feeling confident in his team as early in the season as race two. If at race two, Charles Leclerc doesn't think his team have his mm. best interests at the forefront, then my goodness, doesn't that bode very poorly for the rest of the season? Shocking. Yep, Matt. A, a positive spin for the Tifosi. Sure. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm Leclerc's race engineer. I see that Lewis is on the hard tire. I see that Lewis pits and puts on the medium tire. I see that Leclerc is on the hard tire. And I think it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, Let's give up. I mean honestly, mm. it didn't matter. He passed signs too. And Leclerc couldn't even pass signs. So it was kind of a done deal. I think Leclerc in the particulars is correct. As a matter of etiquette, he should have been warned because Leclerc could probably have played with his timings enough to be ahead of Lewis, but he would not have been there for long. So, you know. It's all about the shoulders, right? Uh, I mean, uh, Alonso's shoulders is up here right now, and he can do anything. Leclerc's is all the way down. You can just see it in him. You can see it in his eyes. He He's starting not to believe. I mean, sorry, a matter of etiquette. Ma- really? A matter of etiquette? No. Yep. This is essential information for a driver to have. Uh, the, uh, not to sound silly, but the butterfly effect is real. Had Leclerc been in front of Hamilton, that yeah. could have held up Hamilton to stop signs from being taken by Hamilton. There's so much that 
that could have impacted a driver in order to perform at their best has to have every single facet of the of the truth in order to know how to adjust their performance they are professionals I know it sounds stupid to say, but they need to know important things like that, Where, especially when it comes to being able to be in a better grid position. Surely that's one of the most important things. Of course, the purpose of the pit wall is to filter out the things that the drivers don't necessarily mm. need to know. Yes, but basic essential communication about, oh, you could actually make up a place here. I mean, come on. Mm. I'm not really sure how Antonia feels after all that, Matt. I wish you'd... Uh... We should have been clearer about it. I feel kind of judged, if I'm being honest. I feel like I need a, a space here for a moment. No, please, please know this is coming from a place of a very sad Ferrari fan. Everyone's a Ferrari fan. I I love them. I just want them to do well. Ooh, no, they're not. Don't say yes, that. they are. Shh. Seb said it, so no. it has to be true. What Seb says is gospel I feel in this that. house. Antonio's right. Until they start winning, then. They Everyone are. hates them then. <laughs> ah, well, we've got, we've got a while before, uh, before that's proved one way or the other. Matt? So maybe it is just my age using words like etiquette. But no, etiquette is incredibly important. It is exceedingly important, I think, number one. But number two, if you look at race pace analysis, Ferrari was slower than Mercedes and Lewis was on faster tires. Maybe Leclerc holds him up for a lap, but no. That was an absolutely done deal, and I suspect <laughs> that it just got lost in the shuffle of other things that Ferrari was worried about. I feel like I'm being lectured by one of my dads about being polite and things. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. Even if no. it was for a lap, even if it was for a lap, that would have been the smidgenest of tyre degradation on Lewis's car that could have made up a couple of tenths. Every tenth matters in F1. I, I don't care. Everything matters. Every position matters. Every overtake matters. I'm very passionate about this. They should have told Leclerc, if they didn't think it would matter, why did he tell him late? If he didn't think it would matter, he shouldn't have told him at all, but he told him late. And let, let Charles know that what he could have had, it was dangled right in front of him, and Charles Leclerc was left to deduce the fact that it was too late. If they didn't think it was important information, they shouldn't have told him, because psychologically, like I said, a driver needs to trust their team, and what that came across as wasn't a deliberate mis miscommunication. It was purely a case of he told him too mm. late. If he mm. wanted to leave that information aside from Leclerc, he All shouldn't right. have told him. <laughs> I'm fairly sure Fred Vasseur, who is a racer at heart, will not be happy about things like this exactly, because this has to work at least. No, I agree. And that, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. At least. At least a driver needs to understand that the information they're getting from the pit wall is A, punctual, B, accurate, and C, in their best interest. It's getting the basics right, isn't it? Exactly. Okay, let's uh, further down the grid. Uh, Antonio, you did mention that you had high hopes uh, for McLaren and then you were instantly uh, d disappointed. And, you know, like I tweeted, uh, if we took away the top 14, that was a classic battle between Williams and, and McLaren. On the positive side, we got to see Piastri doing a bit of racing. Uh, he learned a bit of a new... Uh, didn't we? He was side to side with Gasly and instantly learned uh, you don't really do that to Gasly. He's probably not going to always leave her to space. Uh, so at least we got to see a decent qualifying performance. Uh, um, well, hang on. I'm jumping to conclusions here. I'm saying that that was Gasly's fault, but... Whose fault is it? Well, we do like to play a little game. Okay. 
So, we haven't actually had that many crashes uh, so far in the first two races. But just so you know, here at Mr. Apex Podcast, we play a game called Whose Fault Is It? We do not do, oh, it was just a racing incident and move on. We are the opposite of what Mercedes claim to be. We are a 100% blame culture. So, Antonia, whilst we're on that, whose fault was that crash between, or that little wing chip between Piastri and Gasly? See, I like to think I'm a balanced person. No. I, the older generations don't like this, so Spanners no. is going to get a bit stroppy with I me will. now. But as a younger generation, I like to consider all facets of the truth and then make a, a fair judgment. As long as it ends in blame, I don't mind. <laughs> I, I'm okay. I'm sensing some some deep issues here, yeah. but I will in this <laughs> in this case, I will I will just uh, yeah okay. I'll blame the McLaren, but. But those that, but only for the sake of starting a little bit of of nitter natter between the group. Oh, okay. If I, if I don't get to be balanced, I can at least be the devil's advocate. <laughs> okay. Well, look. Okay. So I'll put it this way. From my point of view, that's a a big squeeze by but Gasly trying to be intimidating. Gas uh, maybe Piastri doesn't know you know better to know that you know one of the the bigger kids, one of the older kids, has just raised its arched its back and hissed and gone. <laughs> that's my part of the track. But I still think technically Gasly should have left him a bit more room. I agree, but Piastri's is a, Piastri is a more intelligent racer than that. He's fantastic in every way. I've I've sung his praises before. He's champion after champion after champion. You don't go for a gap that doesn't exist. Again, this is this is devil's advocate. So please okay. don't like right. cyber bully me after this, guys. If you're listening, no, um, that's for the but... <laughs> that, that's for the listeners to do. So go and follow Antonia by f- clicking the links. <laughs> In the show notes below, it will link to your. Going to drop my address in the comments and be like, "Go send a hate mail." <laughs> uh, we're oh, well. I'm not going to drop it in there again, but uh, we'll send people to your <laughs> to your TikTok, and you've got over sixty thousand friends on TikTok followers on TikTok, which is amazing. And you're also on on Twitter as well. So um, yeah, go and uh, tell her why. Go she's send wrong. me hate. Yeah, please, go send a hate it, on that. But but make sure you do follow her first. Um, so uh, uh, Christian, obviously Antonio's wrong about that. Gasly drove into a space where a car already existed. Um, it was a non-issue for me. I didn't even see. I mean, it's like a go-kart race that where no one touches in corner one. It, it how can this happen? We yeah. are we are the world's fastest racetrack in the world. Uh, we have spanners sitting on the edge of his seat back in England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We Sweating. are we are at the peak, and still we. I mean, if a car gets off the track, spins, they just turn on the car again, turn around, and drive on. I mean, this is new times, and I, I I think we should all appreciate the fact that we have Formula One cars keep driving and driving at such a high level, at such a high speed, without anything happening. I mean, it's worth a salute, I think. Uh, Matt, this is all silly. Whose fault was it? Uh, it was Gasly's fault. Gasly's fault. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Too. Oh, see, I've annoyed the old people. <laughs> I knew this would happen. <sighs> I, you know, I only watched the onboards from three different cars, so I could be wrong here, but it looked pretty much like techniques. Gasly rocked up onto the curb into turn one, yeah. aimed at turn two, and had zero idea Piastri was alongside him. They're until, beveled course, for a he reason. The curbs, the curbs are beveled for a reason. They're meant, you're meant to ride them a little They're bit. They're meant to launch you at other cars, yes. <laughs> Spanners, could yeah. we do uh, whose fault is it on the safety car? Oh, my goodness. Yes, we absolutely can. <clears throat> whose fault is that? Uh, I am of the opinion, Christian, that this is an ongoing Shouldn't trend. Do you know the jingle? Oh, sorry. No, that's the wrong one. Whose fault is it? 
I am of the opinion, Christian, that this is the ongoing trend in trigger-happy safety cars. And I think they know full well that it is going to bunch it up. It is going to cause a bit of excitement. I, the, 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 the pure racer in me tingles at that. But it is the way F1's been going. And I think they look for an excuse. I mean, that was just, that was too much, wasn't it? it was I mean, that much, was yeah. too obvious that yeah. we, we'd press the broadcast, listen, broadcast button, and then every uh, screen lights up and <laughs> commercial. It, it felt <laughs> like they, they, they pressed the entertainment uh, button somehow. And I hate it when they do that. They don't have to do that. I, I am inclined to agree because, of course, as the sport's grown, the direction it's taken in the last few years is that of, uh, racing as an entertainment spectacle as opposed to a sports spectacle. However, I I would like to give our beloved, I say that hesitantly, FIA the benefit of the doubt. There are very standardised procedures to follow in terms of the deployment of a safety car. Even if we can look and go, the car was out of the way. If they've got sensors that are saying the car is still on track, yes, it might have just been the rear wing or so. But if they have sensors that are telling them there is a car on the track, they are probably obliged to then put the safety car on the track as a matter of standardization. So I would I would like to give them the benefit of the doubt on that one. Poor, it's generous. It's generous. And I will say, you have an amazing career ahead in mid-level corporate management with those kinds of rationalization skills. If Antonia just suddenly, if she suddenly appears on F1 TV, we'll know that this what what this answer is about. (laughs) It was an exceedingly NASCARian safety car. Ooh, slandering Mm. other series. Nice. He was almost entirely off the circuit and had someone not parked a large construction vehicle there. It would have been a. It wouldn't have even been a virtual safety car. It would have been just double waved yellow. So yeah, I thought it was an early and quick call, and not entirely justified, and completely affected the flow of the race. So so worth talking about what those rules really should be. I will say that's interesting that you said that though, because that raises a really interesting question: Why on earth was there? a recovery vehicle parked across where an escape road is. That makes the entire escape road redundant, no? Surely this comes down now actually to a matter of the tracks stewarding management team, wherein if the safety escape road isn't fully Mm. usable, that is a very serious concern. Why on earth was the JCB Mm. parked in such a way that the then escape road couldn't be used effectively? Well, look, this is the thing, Matt. We are now under kind of new management. I've forgotten who's in charge. Who's the race controller now? Uh, Niels Wittich. Right, okay. So in a way, it's good that I sort of, that's not rolling off my tongue, that that's not become, you know, obviously a lot of focus on race control in recent years. But um, the fact that they are focusing on different rules, like the pit box rule, uh, no, sorry, the starting grid rule, and then really enforcing this penalty thing yeah, the you know if you don't serve your penalty right with Ocon and Alonso, so they're focusing on different things. We also saw them focusing and applying the rules it seemingly differently to me with weaving. So that's the sort of thing I wanted to talk about next because there was two drivers that got called up for weaving, and the first one was Lewis Hamilton while defending from uh, I've, I've forgotten now uh, Ocon or Gasly, one of the one of the Alpines. Gasly, it was Gasly I, early on no, in the was race. Was it Leclerc? Maybe. Uh, yeah. I, th- yeah, I think it might have been a Ferrari, yeah. Yeah, it was Leclerc when he was coming past on the soft tires. Yeah, so I think there was actually, it was initially one of the Alpines and then the, the Ferrari came through. Uh, but 
the, my interpretation always of the weaving was that you could move across to defend. So you could go and write, I'm going to take the inside line as long as there's no one near you. And then as you came to the corner, you could then go back out to the racing line to resume your racing line as long as you left one car's width racing room. And this is like how you could behave on the, the straight. Anything beyond that was considered you know, weaving or blocking. Uh, and I don't think Hamilton did that, Antonio, yet he's still got a black and white flag for weaving. So are we seeing a, a change in how they police this? Yeah, I'm, I must admit, I'm in really two minds about this because we say, okay, well, you can only make one defensive move, in which case weaving, yeah, it is very dangerous. You can't make two defensive moves because that's how you're going to have a very nasty incident. However, if he's saying he was only doing it to break a toe, do we consider breaking a toe as a defensive move? I would say so. That's a defensive move because mm. you're trying to hinder the guy behind you. But there were, but that's not a dangerous thing to no. do per se because the guy isn't immediately behind you. So yes, it's a defensive move, but it's not as dangerous, say, if the guy's literally behind you about to overtake. So I think maybe we need a little bit of clarification in the wording of that regulation, wherein we say, okay, a defensive move where the car is about to make an overtake as opposed to just trying to break a toe because then otherwise it's something as simple as following an ideal racing line could then be deemed weaving because if you're going left and right you know there's mm. so many technicalities that that could expose no uh, yeah and I, I never thought of um matt of the breaking the toe as a defensive move but i guess so but even in that all he ever did was go to the inside and then go back to the racing line so i'm a little confused like that i, I would love someone to clarify it uh, matt then christian Right. So I'm an old bike racer and the draft and the toe is absolutely a thing. The way I see it is that it's pretty simple. If that person depends on how far away the person is, if they're not about to pass you, then weaving to break the toe is absolutely acceptable. But if they're in a position where they might at the apex of the turn be alongside you, then no, you can no longer weave. You have to take your one move. Mm. And either make it stick or lose out. Uh, and I think, I think that's fair. And that's always been the way it's treated. And what strikes me is, I think what strikes you is, is it's like a different approach to policing these kinds of rules with being very picky about being in the grid slot with, oh, a hand touched a car. We're going to call that working, which, you know, is in the rules. But I'm not sure it was always exactly enforced that way. Might have been, might not have been. But it's like, you know, when you go to your next year's class and you suddenly have a new teacher and they behave very differently yeah. to what you're yeah. used to. I think that's kind of what we're getting here, too. Christine. Yeah, sorry, can I just say really quick, do, do, we, do we then need to maybe clarify between a preventative move and a defensive move, wherein you're anticipating that your actions could positively impact the driver behind you so you're not directly defending but you're just foreseeing you know like the hazard part in your driving theory test <laughs> where you see a hazard coming and you go oh no <laughs> but the, 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 I think the danger would be christian i think that like if you've got drs and you really limit the amount they move what you're basically saying is a drs pass is, is automatic at that point i think i will look at it from a from another perspective and say racing is supposed to be on the track within the white lines right mm-hmm so, but could race director uh, tell me not to weave if I was just alone on the straight? He, he I mean, mm. according to the rules, he, I don't think he can. Uh, he could probably do it if he, he was to uh, convince everyone that it was dangerous racing. 
But just me weaving in my own car alone on the straight, that's not dangerous racing for a professional race driver. So the question is here, at which point does it become racing with another car? How mm. close does that car have to be? And I think we we must look out for not being too, I mean, all this is semantics. This is this is words. And if we just, all these bureaucratic words, keep throwing them around. Hamilton had to go get his uh, ear nose uh, cleared again this week. And it's, it's just, what's going on, man? <laughs> I have to confess, I don't quite understand the link between those two things. But, uh, you know, they did also They're sort overruling, out... Overruling, <laughs> overruling, I think. And they also sorted out to make sure none of those dangerous bicycles or scooters are on any of the track walks. So, whew, at least that's sorted. Uh, Antonia? I, I do agree. I think especially with the policing of driving techniques, at what point do we just say F1's pretty dangerous? Yeah, because you can you could justify ruling out most things on the grounds of danger. Overtaking another car going at 200 miles an hour does not come without its risks. We can we can justify all of these things by saying they're too dangerous. But what, what, where do we draw the line where we say, actually, they're just making a pretty savvy move. That's just their driving style good for them, it works. You know, there's a difference, a huge difference between a malicious, dangerous, last minute jerk to the right to stop your opponent from coming up and grabbing your place off of you. And then actually just, like I said earlier, foreseeing a hazard and overcoming it. And yeah, we really do need to be careful of these kind of pernickety rules, which really make no difference mm. to the overall performance of the athletes. You know, with the jewelry rule, for example, with Lewis, he is a big boy. If he wants to mutilate his nose, he can mutilate his nose. That's, that doesn't put anyone else at risk. You know, for example, if if the FIA are saying, yeah, but it's dangerous, then he's a big boy. And I so I agree with the regulations that, are, you know, you can't be a horrible person on track and literally deliberately cause crashes just so that you win. However, mm. at what point do we just You've say, be able to race. actually, you're being, yeah. pretty, you're being pretty cool and smart right now. No, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be a case, Matt, that um, you know the new teacher is just trying to control the the kids in the class, and and those things could settle. Yeah, they're just trying to sort of stamp their authority onto the uh, mm. onto the drivers, so that they know they have to be respectful of what is said. Which, after all of the conundrums pertaining to penalties over the last few seasons, can you blame them? You're not going to make us talk about Abu Dhabi, are you? No, no, let's move on. That's why it was rhetorical, Spanners. Oh, yeah, and then I said it. Do the section change music. It's the podium (laughs) as commanded by Ranko. Thank you very much to my panel. Uh, We're going to give out our awards here on Missed Apex Podcast. But uh, if you want to follow the panel, all the links to their stuff will be in the show notes below. And uh, if you want to catch up with our preview show, we're doing it on Fridays now after FP2. And it's a bit of a, uh, it's doom scrolly. We talk about uh, our lives a little bit, whereas me and Matt catch up um, and try and kind of set ourselves up for the race. What are we looking out for? What tactics are we looking out for? What, how do we think the tyres are going to play out? Um, and, and it was a really fun, enjoyable live stream. Uh, obviously, it's out of date instantly, which is kind of why we've not put it on the mainstream. But if you're on our 199 tier or above, patreon.com forward slash missed apex, maybe try that out for a month and see if it's for you and see if, Supporting Missed Apex podcast provides any kind of value. But we are going to give out the awards now. The first one is Thing of the Weekend. (laughs) 
I'm going to go first. I'm going to bagsy it before anyone else takes it. My thing of the weekend was Lance Stroll's move. I think it was on lap one around the outside of Carlos Sainz. And that is just the pure like joy of racing when you see two people taking taking a line at, you know, really hard, flat out. And it's, it's what we hoped Sochi turn three was going to be, but never really turned out to be. But it, it seemed to work well on this track. So that's my thing of the weekend. Christian Pedersen. You are on Twitter a little bit, so we're gonna we're gonna link to your your Twitter account, and people can go and follow you. Um, Kevin, of course, is overtaking, <gasps> but I already mentioned that. No, did you? you? Yeah, I you did. Do it again. Do it again. Mention I, it again. No, I want to mention something else, Ben. Go on then. Okay, I have two things. Is that all right? Yeah, good. Go. The more you say, the more chance you've got of upsetting Matt by stealing his. So go for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably not. <laughs> this will not have. What have I done now? Uh, the first thing is uh, Mercedes putting uh, color tabs on the top of their uh, halo. Uh, not uh, yeah, what's it called? Um, what's it called? The thing is it called the halo? The halo, the, the round loop. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, they're putting color uh, items uh, so you can differentiate. Yes, yeah. drivers. And why does everyone not do this? Why is this not a mandated thing? Anyway, I want to mention one thing as thing of the week because this guy, this is a fan, a Formula One fan who who built an app called MultiViewer. So if you have access to Formula One, F1 TV Pro, whatever, uh, download MultiViewer on your computer. It's free, and your mind will be blown. Now, awesome, so- nice. Go and check that out. Uh, Matt Two Rumpets at MattPT55. Your links, as ever, will be in the show notes below and we'll link to the series of romantic novels that have a romantic theme that your wife writes. So follow at A. Weaver writes. And just like, you know, sometimes you read the magazines for the articles and you barely even notice the pictures are there. I read Amanda's books for the plot in between all the mucky stuff. Mm. Yeah, and the dialogue's pretty, pretty smoking too, if I do say so myself. What was your thing of the weekend, Matt? Well, I will agree, concur with Christian, re-multiviewer, but usually we get them to give us money first, my friend. Yeah, come on. Yeah, it looks cheeky one, isn't it? Oh, but he he did it for, he. this is a fan who's done it for free, and it's I know. much better than I know. anything else. Yeah, I know yeah, you're making fun, of course. This, but This uh, is actually, yeah, what what I like to call humor. <laughs> um, Eight years, why so, are you starting no, now? not meant to know what funny is. Oh, that's true. Carry, carry on, carry on. All right, no. My thing of the week, and Christian has made it difficult by choosing none of the things I actually would have chosen, is going to be the greatest qualifying lap that was ever run by Logan Sargent, of course, in Q1, which actually wound up not being a real lap. That's a good point. Yeah. It Very was, good point. It would have looked decent, and in the end, he got within just 40 seconds of the, the, the pole position time. No, he would have actually made Q3 with that time in Q2. It was that good. Mm. But the reason no one's talking about it being the best lap ever is because he failed to hit a wall before the end of it. <laughs> so, uh, actually, we've seen a few good things from Logan Sargent now, which was that first lap in Bahrain and the qualifying yep. performance here in, in Saudi Arabia. Okay, so I did, I did say my bar would be higher for Logan Sargent, you know, given the, the wealth in his family. But, you know, fair play. That's two two weekends out of two. He's done impressive things. All the rookies have done uh, good things, I think. Yeah. Antonio Rankin, who's done good things for you? I'm going to give it to kind of the obvious one. I will say, I wish Ocon had done something cool so that I could just rub it in Matt's face that I said something about Ocon and he didn't. Yeah, but, but uh, he didn't. Sadly not. No. 
He um, rarely does. I, I'm going to give it to Perez, not for his exceptional performance, oh. but for putting his foot down a little bit mm. and really saying, no, the comments I made about me thinking I can be a world champion, I meant that. And I'm going to show you that. <laughs> and to his credit, he did. And I think, to be honest, standing up in that way, that publicly against someone like Max Verstappen, he's got some guts. And, you know, the performance to go behind it as well. So good for him. That's my thing of the week. He's a, he's a race driver, isn't he, that guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't write him off just yet. Just wait a few races at least. Now, that was nice and positive and it was all the good thing of the weekend. Here we, uh, we're being a bit more armchair critique and being a bit mean. So this is our, our Missed the Apex Award. And it's the bad thing. Oh, no, you missed the apex. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go first. Uh, I'm going to put this to Antonio as well, actually, because my, my bad thing, my missed the apex award, is still that I have to watch this race through open fingers, especially during qualifying when they're going flat out, because I just at some point, someone is going to be sideways and there's not going to be enough time and we're going to have a, like a, a side-on impact. I know they made some changes, but I still, oh, I'm getting too old for this, but, you know, I still was like, oh, careful, steady now. You know, bit of a dad energy, I know. But they did they did try. Oh, you're making me want to change my thing of the weekend now because I, I actually quite liked the changes that Go they made. Go for it. No, that's fine. Go on, tell us what did they try to do and how effective was it? Well, so they've added rumble strips to various turns of the, of the track, wherein it basically just reduces the traction of the car, gives it a little bit of throwing off balance, and it puts them off of going a bit too close to the wall. So that's a safety measure. They've also replaced um, metal, very hard curbs with beveled curbs, which means that they're slightly sloped, which means that it's a lot easier for drivers to go across them without flipping the car. And that's uh-huh. how it turns... 4, 8, 10, 11, 17, and 23. Mm -hmm. So a very fair portion of the track. And I think that actually has made in itself racing a lot safer. And of course, they've reprofiled the little S-turn towards the end of the lap to make it tighter, which has Mm. made it a lot more interesting and slowed the cars down. But also, just from a general safety perspective, they've shifted these fences outwards. That's the key one. And this means that drivers can see down the track we can see down the track because we've got the camera angles for it now. And generally speaking, we don't need to watch it through our fingers as much because if there's a car parked around the next turn, the drivers generally can you're, see it. You're there. more likely to see it. Yeah, you okay. young people are so coddled. <laughs> no, it's me. I'm young the one. people put such good justified yeah. arguments down. Gosh darn it. I'm, I'm the one that's sitting there going, oh, careful now, as if they're all like my kid or whatever. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's see. Uh, well, Anto- uh, and we'll come back to you, Antonio, then, because that was my bad thing. Christian, uh, what was your Missed Apex Award this week? Who missed the Apex for you? Uh, but, um, actually, I don't really have anything that's negative from this. I mean, that's too just, nice. Yeah, there's just, so much. Go on, find something. Um, if you're determined to be nice, I'll move on to Matt and let me know if you think of one. Matt, who missed the apex for you? Well, I, I think the chat is encouraging me to say the band that played the anthem, but I'm That's not going true. to. That is true, man. <laughs> I I love the kazoos. That was my favorite bit. I was hoping they would return I, for the national anthems at the end. I wasn't going to mention that, but my that was I wanted to hear the Mexican national anthem in kazoos. I don't, I'm just going to say sound for live instruments could be challenging um, and leave it at that but i thought we weren't going to talk about that also i just uh, want to be clear like i don't know too much about that culture if that is like a you know a tradition or some kind of thing exactly this I, is i don't want to be rude that's to why it. i thought we weren't going to talk about it yeah all right far clear of it is i could so my 
person, because it's a person this week, who missed the apex is Valtteri Botas, the only person to finish the race and be lapped. I don't know. Mm. Maybe he's got a crack in the chassis and they need to replace it. But He did say that the car didn't feel good. Um, boy, was he nowhere this week. Christian? What sure thing I would like better next race? More Sonoda radios. We only had one Sonoda radio where he said, that was, <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> Just the scream, yes. That was after Magnuson's overtaking him. Just pure, well, uh, let's um, let's look forward to getting the transcripts of the radios for that then. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. That was our Saudi Grand Prix race review. Please follow my panel, uh, Christian Pedersen, Antonio Rankin and Matt Trumpets. And you can follow me as well. All these links are in the show notes below. But, but do follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. And uh, we're going to have some midweek content with you. We're going to do a bit of a catch up because I know there's things we'll have left on the table and we can look a little bit more into the rules side. But... We do have a fabulous interview lined up with Mark Preston talking about Super Aguri, and he was the chief technical lead there and in charge of their 100 days plan to get into Formula One. And he was, he was also one of the most successful Formula E team principals as well. So that will be there on Tuesday. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. We just sneaked in under an hour. That's our vow. Never go over an hour. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.